Recovery Elevator, episode 210. I was like, oh, I think my relationship with alcohol is different now. Like, I was able to not do it, so obviously I don't have a problem. Because if I had a problem, I wouldn't be able to go a day, right? So that's, that's just how I thought. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Juan. He's 32 years old. He's from Los Angeles. He's been sober since May 29th, 2018. I'd like to start off by saying congratulations to Kirk S. in Florida for hitting one year of sobriety. Nice job. And guys, this Friday, March 1st, registration for the Recovery Elevator Retreat in Bozeman, Montana goes live. This retreat, nestled in the forest of Big Sky Country, takes place on Wednesday, August 14th to Sunday, August 18th. I put this retreat on in 2017 and it was a blast. But this year, I'm going to take it to the next level. I'm bringing in an incredible list of speakers, presenters, and we're all going to learn so much in these recovery workshops. In addition, we may be checking out some waterfalls in the area, perhaps some paddleboarding, perhaps some campfires, but I don't want to give too much away. Guys, space is limited for this retreat, so go to recoveryelevator.com and get registered starting this Friday, March 1st. And before we get any further, let's hear from my favorite resource in recovery, Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years and it didn't work. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group, which is capped at 300 members to ensure intimacy. Then you get access to the Cafe RE forum outside of Facebook, which means you don't need a Facebook account to be part of Cafe RE. Both are private and only members can see who is in the groups and what is said. In the forum and Facebook group, you get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For just $19 a month, you too can join the conversation. You can be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups and retreats, participate in book club, movie club, and more. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive this setup fee. I hope to see you there. All right. Guys, after the interview with Juan, I'm going to discuss detoxing from alcohol and just how dangerous it can be. Okay, let's get started. Today, I want to talk to you guys about cravings, what they are, what they represent, and what to do when we experience them. Also, are all cravings the same? For example, are cravings at week one the same as the cravings we get at year one of sobriety? So in simple form, a craving is the desire to regulate our inner state with an external substance or behavior. When I first got sober, I was under the impression that all cravings are created equal, but this isn't the case. Immediately after drinking, this is most acute in the first 72 hours, we physiologically are craving the drug alcohol. Our bodies are no longer receiving the same drug that many of us are simply drinking to feel normal. However, after the first 72 hours, first week, two weeks, couple months, six months, this is different for everybody, we reach a point when our bodies are no longer craving the drug alcohol. We are no longer physically dependent upon this drug. So when we do experience a craving, here's a good signpost indicating that alcohol isn't the problem. Cravings are almost contemporaneous with poor coping mechanisms. 
And this is how cravings usually present themselves. An uncomfortable emotion arises or a life stressor presents itself and then cue craving to feel differently. I used alcohol to do this until it stopped working. But just like I mentioned, the further we get away from the detoxification process of alcohol, the less this even has to do with alcohol and the more it has to do with us just not wanting to feel how we're currently feeling. Most of the time, we are simply craving to be in a different state of mind, a craving to depart from the present moment and a craving for something we don't already have. At first, dealing with cravings is difficult, but as our coping mechanisms evolve and progress, we are able to surpass cravings without drinking. And here's where it gets exciting. Eventually, we can get past these cravings without taking any action at all. We get to the point where we are okay with the craving or okay with the uncomfortable feeling. And cravings are sneaky. Just when we think we have put ourselves far enough away from alcohol, a craving will show up. It's just what it does. They show up on good days. They show up on bad days. They can show up at the least expected moment. But here's the good news. Even though this uncomfortable feeling, we feel that it's going to be with us until our last breath on our deathbed, but that's not the case. All cravings have a lifespan. I read an article a long time ago that the average craving has a lifespan of only 20 minutes. Most of these cravings are simply emotional energy inside of us. What's coming is going, keep that in mind, and we simply need to wait them out. Hey Siri, let's leverage technology now. So hey Siri, set a timer for 20 minutes and just wait. If this waiting strategy doesn't work, another tool that I like to do is to simply trick the mind. Say, all right, body, mind, I, I see the jive you're putting down here. We're not feeling good. You want me to drink? Um, I'm not going to do it. We have 20 minutes. And again, after 20 minutes doesn't work, say, okay, body, mind, still here. I'm going to drink after this run. Or, you know what? We're going to drink after we do a workout or after we do this activity or whatnot. Oftentimes, after we go for a run, the workout, the jog, the craving has surpassed. Again, these cravings have a lifespan, and it's important not to forget that. Another important tool is awareness. Simply recognizing, saying, okay, body, I understand there's a craving that is showing up. There's a craving presenting itself loud and clear. I'm aware of this. We don't need to double down on these cravings. We don't need to double down on the emotion and say, I understand I'm mad right now, but I'm not going to get mad at the fact that I'm mad. So simply having awareness will create space for the emotion, the craving to simply go away. And here is the best way to deal with cravings. If you've ever been to a 12-step meeting, you're going to hear the phrase, call your sponsor at least 700 times a meeting. At first, I was so sick of hearing this phrase. But after unpacking it a bit, I realized it's simply all about connecting. When we do experience a craving, it's important we get outside of our own heads, our own bodies, and connect with another individual. Ideally, we connect with another sober person, but speaking to anyone and stepping away from the internal dialogue is what we're aiming to achieve. We've all heard of the thousand pound phone. Nowadays, it's more like frozen thumbs. Guys, I just made that phrase up. I'm not sure if the kids are going to start using that phrase, but you get the point. It can be really hard to text a friend or send a Facebook message to somebody, but please do your best to reach out when you get a craving. What if it's 2 a.m. and you get a craving and everybody you know is asleep? Well, the world is getting smaller with technology and we can leverage time zones. 
In Cafe RE, we've got over 100 members that don't live in the United States of America. Find another online recovery group that has people from all across the planet inside that group. Guys, in short, cravings are a bitch. I know firsthand I've gone through plenty of them. But each time we surpass a craving without drinking, we build those emotional sobriety muscles. And it gets a little bit easier each time. Like I mentioned, initially, our coping skills, they aren't the best. But each time we get through a craving without drinking, we start to build these coping mechanisms till the point where we can get through these cravings without taking any action at all. And that's the goal. Okay, enough out of me. Let's hear from Juan. Juan, how are you? Hey, I'm pretty good, Paul. How are you doing? Yeah, Juan, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking, Juan. Let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? I've been sober for seven months and 25 days. Seven months and 25 days. And before I hit record, you said it was May 29th of 2018, correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah, great job. How does that feel? Really good. A lot has changed in a small amount of time. So, yeah, pretty good. Positive. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing how much can change in such a short duration of time. And in the email that you sent me, you said this is your second stint in sobriety. The first time was very dry. So I'm excited to hear more about that. But before we get any further on, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, you have a family, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? All right. Yeah. Uh, I live in Los Angeles in Highland Park, born in Mexico, but grew up in Southern California. I'm 32, almost 33. I'm a personal assistant, single. (laughs) And uh, for fun, I like to play music. I play in a band, go to the movies, go on hikes, work out and uh, hang out with uh, my sober crew. <laughs> there you go. What's uh, what's a recent movie you, you, you've seen that you recommend? Oh, man. I would be like, I enjoy it. I really like The Favorite and Suspiria. Those are some highlights from last year for sure. Ah, oh, for two. I got to check those out. Yeah, those are great. All right. And Juan, give listeners a little background about your drinking. Describe your drinking habits, how much you drank. Did you ever attempt to regulate? When did you first realize alcohol might not be what it's cracked up to be? I'm excited to hear more about your journey. And do us a favor. Try to give us times and dates so we can be up to date with your timeline. All right. Yeah. So I started drinking, I guess to some people, a little bit later in life. I was about 19 when I first started drinking. And yeah, I... uh, I guess I sort of did it to, you know, at the time I was playing music and in, in my in my first band, and that was sort of what people did, and that's what I thought I should do to fit in, I guess. And it was pretty fun. I, I I'm not gonna lie. At the time, I felt a little bit. It made me feel a little more confident and a little more comfortable in my own skin. I was newly out. I'm gay, <laughs> and I was newly out, so that was, you know, kind of a crazy time for me. Yeah. So I think at that time, like, yeah, around 19, 20, 21, those ages, I was really ramping up. And so, yeah, I would tour in this band and tour all over the world and like all over the U.S. And drinking was, a, you know, that was a constant. That was like how we did shows. That's how I got rid of my anxiety, performance anxiety and stuff. And I was just, you know, playing in bars and, and, and clubs. That's just sort of the culture of it, I guess. Yeah, Real quick, what do you I play? Think, oh, yeah, I play guitar. Ah, sweet. Yeah, I can't sing, but I play guitar. <laughs> what kind of guitar and, do you have? Uh, right now I have a Telecaster, but I've had a bunch of guitars from all kind of cheap ones. I had a bunch of Squires, and uh, now I have a Telecaster, yeah, which I'm okay. really into. I'll stop interrupting. Oh, no, no, totally. It's totally fine. Yeah, so I think things started getting a little bit messier around 25. I have a dis- distinct memory of being on tour, and it was my 25th birthday. I was in Atlanta. 
pretty good show. It was really fun until after our set, people offered to buy me shots, got crazy and started having more like negative, you know, sort of existential thoughts of where I am, what I've done, just, you know, th- those, those kind of feelings. And uh, I definitely overdid it that night. And that was sort of the beginning of like, just like having bad, like having the anxiety ramping up, the depression, like all that stuff, I think started reaching kind of like an all time, but I still, you know, I still kept drinking after that, like, and just, you know, I guess, you know, I would drink towards like the end of, of, you know, and towards like the end of uh, my drinking career, I guess I, uh, it, it just wasn't fun. I was getting into horrible arguments with friends, you know, lying, covering things up, canceling on on friends canceling on my family avoiding you know kind of doing that kind of stuff and my anxiety was through the roof like you know it was it was it was getting it was really really bad I was going to therapy uh psychiatrist all that stuff it was just like getting building up to this really really bad point and why can you expand a little bit more on the anxiety that was a big factor why I quit drinking I know I know a lot of listeners were like hey Juan Tell us more about the anxiety. What what was that like? What did you did the drinking make it go away? Was it there when you stopped drinking? Tell us more about that. Yeah. So I you know, even since I was a kid, like I've always been like a nervous guy, <laughs> a little bit high strung. And the, yeah, so I think my anxiety uh, you know, it's hard to tell if it was attributed to me drinking all the time or if it was just like naturally how I was feeling. But drinking would when I was anxious, for a little bit it would kind of calm it. And then as soon as I went over a threshold, like a certain threshold, you know, a certain amount of drinks, a certain, you know, it would, it would come back in my head. I would get in my head. I would be paranoid a lot. Of, a lot of times there's a lot of paranoia of like how people were seeing me, you know, stuff like that, like how I came off, like, um, and, uh, and, and the worst was waking up in the morning and just having like that, I'd call it like the fear <laughs> when you wake up in the morning after a long night of drinking and you're just like, what did I do? What did I say? Who did I text? Who did I piss off? What secrets did I tell? You know, like that feeling, just like that crushing sort of like feeling of what ifs and, and what did I do? So I think that's sort of how my anxiety progressed with drinking. So, yeah, Juan, I love how you use yeah. the word fear because yeah, there's like normal anxiety. And then towards the end of my drinking, I wake up and it surpassed anxiety. It was pure fear. <laughs> I like how you said yeah. that. I, I never really was able to differentiate the two, but it's pure fear that I no longer had a, a, a smidgen of control of my life. And it was pure fear. So, all right, keep going. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. And actually, uh, a friend of mine coined it anxiety when you're hungover yep. and have that. That really yeah. insane feeling. I don't know if it's a term he coined or you know about. No, but I, that, that's I, totally I didn't make it up, it but like I've definitely heard of it. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's pretty, yeah, that's, that that was sort of the, yeah, that's how my anxiety manifested. Yeah, so basically, the, yeah, I felt like the drinking was, he wasn't doing anything for my anxiety. It was, it was getting really bad. Like I, you know, got, I was overweight and feeling horrible, like physically, mentally, I even started getting alopecia in my beard, which I didn't realize was attributed to drinking at the time. Mm. It was just, I was just kind of a mess. I felt bitter and really unhappy with myself and let down. I like let myself down. And um, yeah, I just felt like kind of pathetic, to be honest. Like I just didn't, my self-esteem was like all time low. 
And, you know, that's, that's like, it was a lot of little things that mounted up to me feeling that way. Yeah, Juan, it's, yeah. a lot of times there's external rock bottoms, DUIs, lost jobs, you know, making our ass out of ourselves at a wedding. But you just described an internal rock bottom. You just said, like, we, we get completely beat to shit internally from alcohol. And it seems like you reached that moment. And what age were you about at that time? I mean, I guess I was like 30, 31, like 30, 31, when it was, it was just really, you know, ramping up like that. And I, and I lived in that for a long time, is the thing, for at least a year of not really changing how I felt until, I guess, when I attempted my first sobriety. I don't know if I should get into this already or not. But, hey, this is your story, um, Juan. I'm loving it. That's true. All right. Yeah. So in 2017, in May, coincidentally, like, which is my sobriety time now in 2018. Um, but in 2017, I had basically blacked out. I blacked out at a party but, um, and just got really, got into like a really, really painful, at first, just verbal argument with my closest friend, which turned into a physical argument and a physical fight. I mean, it was in front of a lot of people I knew, a lot of close friends, some, a lot of strangers. You know, it, it was it was very it was horrible, and that people had to break us up, and a lot of things came out. Like said a lot of terrible things, sure. and it was really bad. And 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 you know, my friend the next morning was like, "Are you okay? You said you wanted to kill yourself, and things I've never really said out loud. You know, things like I, I you know, it was just really, really, really messy. And after that, I. I was like, something, something's got to change, you know? And uh, I had a family trip going up uh, after that. So I decided I would stop drinking after that. <laughs> so that wasn't enough to get <laughs> me to thinking, stop Mark. drinking. I was like, well, yeah, I was like, I'm going to be gone. I'll, I'll be on a family trip with Mexico. In Mexico, this doesn't, it'll be its own thing. It doesn't count. <laughs> so when I got back from that trip is when I, I, I stopped drinking that. And that was, I think, like May 27th of 2017. So very similar to my sobriety to date yeah. now. So that's, that's sort of what led me to, to really rethink, to really like, it snapped me out of, of my stupor, uh, to really start making some sort of change in my yeah, life. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and walk us through what happened after you know, May 27th of 2017. How, how'd you do it? You mentioned you were dry, which is referring to a dry yeah. drunk. I imagine what you're saying is you didn't really have any resources yeah. or go to any programs, things like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, um, I kind of just at first was like, well, I need to stop drinking because, you know, I'm for the obvious reasons. And I was like, well, I, I, I'll figure out how to do this. I'll just stop drinking. I didn't really think about AA or any, any programs as even a, a possibility. I, even then I was like, well, maybe I'm not really an alcoholic. I don't know how I feel about, about those, those terms and, and, and that culture and that world. So I just kind of, I honestly just stopped. I just, cold turkey was like, I'm not going to drink. A lot of avoiding going out, a lot of avoiding certain people in certain situations. But I got into the swing of it a little bit. And, you know, I I was able to travel and I was not drinking. And but it was definitely like not easy. I wasn't having in my mind, I didn't feel like I was having as much fun as if I were to drink. And I I didn't really feel the benefit right away. Like I, it, it definitely felt like I was like on a diet or something where I was depriving myself. And uh, I was probably a little bit edgy at the time. And so I basically, so I did that for about four months and I did like kind of an insane diet called whole 30, which is like no alcohol, no sugar, a bunch of stuff. 
And at the end of that, I was like, well, I'm going to treat myself to drink again. <laughs> it was ah, after the holidays. And I was like, I think I was like, I think I'm good. I, I didn't drink. I did this diet. I, I feel good. Like I can maybe start drinking again. Did you mutter the words? I got this. <laughs> I bite. Yeah, exactly. Something yeah. Similar? I, I, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah something usually, very similar. Like, yeah, usually when we say I got this, it's followed by uh, a shit storm and the wheels flying off. A hundred percent. Yeah, it, it was. I didn't even at the time fully grasp like that. Yeah, I was. I, I did the thing that like so many people do, which is I was like, oh, I think my relationship with alcohol is different now. Like I was able to not do it. So obviously I don't have a problem because if I had a problem, I wouldn't be able to go a day. Right. So that's that's just how I thought. So I was like, oh, well, I'll start drinking. Again. And then I was um, so I was, you know, drinking a lot, you know, not as much as I used to. And I would make it like a treat <laughs> in my head. That's how I saw it. But very quickly, I, I just. My birth, my my natal birthday is February 9th. So around my birthday, I just was like gun ho all the way, like drinking, getting really, yeah, getting smashed, and like just being sort of like spiraled out into being in the spot I was a year before. Like I definitely was getting those the fear, the anxiety, the paranoia um, again, and that's when I was like, okay, this is not working out at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Juan, we, so I, I, yeah. you, you and me both have something in common. We were. We were both rock stars in Southern California. The only difference is I was a rock star in my dorm room at Chapman University. That's, that's as far <laughs> as my rock career went. Um, and we were, also, we were also dry drunks. Yeah. And everything yeah. you explained, you, 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 you described it perfectly. You're a bit edgy. It was like a sacrifice. You, know, you were avoiding social situations. Yeah. It felt like you weren't having as much fun. Yeah, man, you just, you just nailed it. Yeah. And, and listeners, if you're hearing that and you're like, oh, man, that, that kind of feels like me. This feels like a diet I mean, Juan, that's like the best way to describe being a dry drunk. I'm writing this down right now, and I'll use it in future oh, podcast right. episodes. It feels like a diet. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good indication that that she, you know you're on the right track. Like you know, like you're you're on the right track. You, you quit drinking. You think it's going to be a panacea. You slowly start to realize that not all the problems are going away. You thought, and you know, and I went back to drinking. It sounds like so you did as well. And uh, yeah, pick us up where where we, where we left off. I'm a uh, you're back in the anxiety. Yeah. You're back in it. Here we go. Yeah. It wasn't working again. Um, uh, drinking was not helping. It was not doing me any favors. I, so I was like, well, let's do this again. I just decided on, you know, on the night of the 28th, I was like, I'm done. May 28th, uh, 2018. And, and the next day I was like, all right, I'm done. Let's do this again. And it's like, well, this time I'm going to try and w w let's see what I can read. Or, you know, I was like, maybe I can read something. I could journal. So I, I read the 30 day solution. I forget who writes it, but it's like every day there's a, you read a chapter and you do an exercise. And so I did that for 30 days and I was like, all right, like I'm sort of realizing like, what are the reasons I drink? How do I want, you know, what do I want to be like now as a sober person and, and all that. And, and then I read, I just was reading like Augustine Burroughs dry, which is yeah. a memoir about alcoholism. And I was just inhaling books about alcoholism, movies about alcoholism. And, and Jack, um, Jack Canfield it, is the one who wrote the sobriety solution and, and somebody else, but I know it's Jack Canfield for listeners. Yes, exactly. Going. Perfect. Yeah. So that, so I did that, you know, and like about like, um, like maybe a month and a half in, I was speaking with a friend who had, she had been sober for a little while now around the same time as me. And, um, she was like, you can't, she gave a good advice. She's like, you can't read yourself and inform yourself out of this. Like you need, you know, it's good to have other resources and, she was hinting at AA and I always was at this time. I was like, I really want to check it out, but I'm too scared. Finally, one day I just found a meeting 
was like the middle of the day. I had the day off work on the middle of the week. And I was like, I'm just going to go to this meeting at noon. And, and since then, you know, I, I'm, I, I was sucked in. I was like, this is, it immediately was, I don't know. It felt like I found what I needed. Like I found what I needed to, to grow, I guess. I, I, and, uh, you know, like it was pretty awkward at first and like getting used to being in the rooms and the language and, you know, praying and, you know, or, you know, like the, the Sinerni prayer, all that kind of stuff was so bizarre to me. I, I, it was really strange. So, yeah, I mean, now I've, you know, I've been sober for a little while now. I have a sponsor and I go to meetings about four times a week and I love it. I, I couldn't be happier with, with, with that choice, with coming, with coming to that realization that I needed other people, other drunks to, to help me stay sober. Yeah, Juan. Yeah, uh, it sounds like you had a smart friend in that in that lady friend saying, "Look, Juan, you can't you can't read yourself out of this problem." And it, this is a confusing thing with this whole addiction process, is because basically, like any other problem in life, it's like, all right, let's go to Google, let's go to Barnes and Noble, let's get some books, let's do some research, let's solve yeah. this problem. And although that propels us forward on our journey, it's it's not even close. It's not even close because that's all external stuff. Yeah, we store it in our brain, but this is like a, at the heart and soul level. And, and yeah, smart friend and, and comment on that. And also comment on what was it like at your first AA meeting? And you walked in, you had all this fear, like you mentioned, um, did you leave with that same amount of fear or was it like, Oh, this wasn't so bad. Yeah. So the first meeting I went to was, um, it was, I, I mean, I, I had nothing to really compare it to, but it was very small. There was like six people um, and it was just like very intimate. I got thrown in right away, you know, into doing the the reading with all the 12 steps in it it was it was like a a lot to take in i left feeling like a little bit like okay i can do this i'll try this again but i felt still very confused by the whole thing it, it, I, it almost felt like i barely even remember bits of it it was it felt like i had blacked out for that moment it was just a lot and i was in my head a lot so yeah it was a little bit it was just strange like i i, I didn't even feel like, it felt like i was like outside of my body, sort of that kind of feeling. Yeah. So I, but you know, I pretty quickly, like I started, I just was like, well, let's just keep on doing this until you, you kind of, I was just like, well, I got to keep on coming. Like that's what they say to do. So I started, you know, I, at first I was going like once a week and just definitely coming in, ducking out, not talking to anyone, just kind of taking it in, not sharing. And I did that kind of for a while. So it's sort of like my early relationship with, 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 with AA. And what advice do you have to somebody out there who's saying, look, I, I, I got to get sober, but there's not a chance in hell I'm going to AA? Yeah, I mean, all I could say is that for me personally, like someone who was very anti, anti-religion, anti, I was, I, you know, I was like, I'm an atheist. Like it was like so punk and to be an atheist. And that's like, I, I didn't think about spirituality or any of that stuff. It was all very, that was so abstract and I was kind of not into it coming from that angle to now how I feel and like how I can express gratitude and express and have a sense of spirituality that, that I'm really happy with. It's like, I don't know. I, all I can speak of, I speak to is my personal experience, which was like, although I was resistant at first, I just allowed myself to be open because I had run out of options basically. And I guess just doing that, like, the fact that 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 someone who was so kind of put off by it maybe or nervous or scared about it to now that I love it. It's like, I I guess it's just a testament to the program itself. And, you know, it's one of those things that if you are open and ready, then it will, I think it will work for you. 
but you know, you really can't force anybody to sit in a meeting because they don't really want to. But yeah, that's, I guess that's the advice I would give. It's just, if you feel even a little open to it, just, just try it. What's like the worst that could happen, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Juan, great advice. And my, my input on that is find your tribe. Go join your tribe. There's nothing to be scary about. Yeah, after I, I embraced AA, I was like, okay, these are my peeps. Not a problem. And they're not just in AA. They're sober people everywhere, which is it's beautiful. Like I'm welcoming this whole new group of people in my life, and there's so much more love now than there was before as there's ever been. And you mentioned the word atheist. When I, when I first started this journey, I was an atheist. And I will admit I no longer am an atheist. And I am no more religious now than I am when I started the journey. Big difference between the two. But I've had to do, not had to do, it's just happened along the way. There's been a big shift in how I view things, how I view the world, view the planet, view the universe. It's, it's incredible. The level of control that I have is, is much less. And there's much more peace with that these days, and it feels good. In fact, I read a shirt uh, a couple of months ago that said, relax, nothing is under control. And I was like, wait a second. And <laughs> like, I got an intense anxiety for a second. I'm like, no. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. No, I love it. That's a, that's a great shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and walk us through a typical day in your recovery, Juan. So I guess, yeah, I mean, I wake up now and like try to wake up a little earlier than I used to <laughs> and try to, most of the time I do a prayer. I, 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 I ask my higher power to, you know, just to allow me to let go of control and to, and to know that whatever, whatever is going on, you know, I'll be okay, basically, and to keep me grounded in that way, to be help me be kind to myself, so I can be, uh, you know, kind to other people and 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 be helpful. So that's sort of like my morning prayer, kind of very is a variation of that. I'll read like um like an affirmation, if you know. And uh, first thing is like I'll also like if my sponsor will send me his gratitude list, and sometimes I'll send him one back, or I'll just read it. So that's sort of like my morning thing. And that kind of sets me off when I do all those things, which is not always, um, it definitely sets my day going in like a, a lot more positive way. And I guess, you know, go to work, do my thing. Usually, you know, I go to meetings about four times a week. So usually catch a meeting in the evening, do some fellowship and hang out with my sponsor and, and other sober friends. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's just every day in sobriety is, it's been different, but I'm always, thinking about, I, I always want to do at least one thing that's like, you know, of service to, to other people if I can, even if it's just texting a friend, asking how they are about a problem they had or just how they are in general, that kind of thing. So I think my daily thing, it's different, but I'm always trying to keep connections with, even if I don't get to see someone in person, keeping connections with my, my sober family, my family, family, and, you know, and fr also friends that, that are not that are not sober or are quote unquote like normies. Yeah. So I think for me, it's just like always keeping some sort of connection with someone uh, throughout the day. Yeah. It sounds like a great program you're rocking. And, and in these last seven months and amount of days, has there been a challenge or have you had an intense moment where you thought you were going to drink again or what's been the biggest challenge that you overcome? Um, you know, for example, in the private groups cafe, I, read, I see sometimes people post and say, Hey guys, it's day 56. And my mind is freaking going crazy. You know, there's this thing called post-acute withdrawal symptoms. I like to call them healing symptoms. It's just your body coming mm -hmm. back online and body and mind coming back online. But what has been the biggest hurdle you've overcome in the past seven and a half months? 
I think it, it has just presented itself to me in the last few weeks. I am transitioning out of my job um, that I've had for nine years. And I'm in for the first time in that in nine years, I'm, you know, I don't know where I'm going to work. <laughs> I, I, it, it's the first real, real challenge is, is um, I really got to figure out like what I want to do, you know, even just like, I just need to find another job. It's the first time I've had this really been shaken out of, out of my, out of my routine, out of my comfort zone, like definitely. And I think, you know, still talking about the spirituality and the higher power thing. I think, I don't think I would have been able to handle this before sobriety. I think it would have really, really been difficult. And the fact that I'm, it is a giant change and it is very scary for me. I still feel, I feel a lot calmer than I thought I would. I would, I've been taking it a day at a time. I've been making positive steps towards that and really sharing about it with friends and at meetings. And I just feel like a sense of like, I will be able to figure this out and get out of this in one way or the other. So I, it has been the biggest challenge, but I don't, I don't want to call it like a test, <laughs> but I feel like it's definitely making me um, really think about the changes I've made um, inside uh, through sobriety to help me do this, I guess. Yeah, Juan, and I use the word challenge, and uh, it could be a challenge, but it's a huge life change regardless. But it sounds like your level of trust in whatever's supposed to happen or whatever's happening is going to happen anyways is it's like level 10 right now. And you're saying you're, you're okay with it. Whatever happens, you're okay with it. That's got to feel good, right? Yeah, definitely. I With this job in particular, like, it's, you know, I, I'm an assistant to another person. So it's like, it's kind of relying on them. And, and I'd always, I would have moments where I was like, well, I don't have this job. What am I going to do? And before it would send me catastrophizing. And now dealing with it, I'm like, oh, I guess, well, this is what it is. And I'll figure it out. You know, it, it, it it's all I can really do is like do the next possible step, you know. And it's also an exciting time for you as well. You never know what the next job is going to be. Yeah, no, totally. I, I'm trying to see it in the, you know, I will get down on it. Sometimes it is like a lot to take on, but it is, it's also like, well, what can I do? Like, what do I want to do? Like, I haven't thought about the big picture in a really long time. Definitely due to drinking and instant gratification and just living for the moment in a different way. Not not living in the moment like presently, but living for the the gratification of, of, of drinking and partying and all that. So I, it, I think it's like pushing me towards like, growth and growing up and figuring out yeah what, absolutely what can i do yeah yeah and we've both heard this phrase in 12-step rooms is you don't have to change much you just have to change everything and this could be life doing what it's doing and, and creating a big change in your life an opportunity for growth so it's it's exciting and and i got a question for you here juan earlier in this interview did you say that you're gay yeah okay thanks for sharing that i got a question for you which was harder Coming out of the closet is is gay, or coming out of the closet is someone with a drinking problem or an alcoholic. Definitely, for me, the the latter. Coming out of the closet as an alcoholic, yeah, because I lucked out. I think I've I have very supportive parents who are very liberal and open minded, and I have friends that I guess I picked good friends that were very supportive in that. And, I, and you know, living in LA is like it's not the biggest deal. You know, I don't get as nervous about that or like I wasn't as nervous about it, but the, the coming, yeah, it, it's something I still, it felt like a, yeah, a second coming out for sure. Um, the people I have shared it with, it's like, I have to really 
trust and also I but I still feel a little bit of like trepidation, a little nervous about talking about it with certain people. So yeah, I don't know. I think I definitely had more of a challenge with with that. Yeah, with the alcoholic title, I guess. Yeah, and Juan, myself and all my listeners right now are also very supportive of your decision with that, with with, with all all your journey. And I asked that question because damn this stigma. I am four for four. Yeah. Maybe, maybe five yeah. for five. I think you're the fifth gay person that I've interviewed on this podcast. And I'm glad that yeah. the question popped in my mind the very first time I had a gay person on the podcast. I was like, wait a second. Like, yeah. what's harder to come out of the closet? Every single one, this is four for four or five for five, has said coming out of the closet is way harder or, or, or just is harder than coming out as someone with a, with, with, with a drinking problem. And God damn this stigma. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that? I know. It's, it, it's crazy. I guess. Yeah. It, it is like, it, it, yeah. And I was the same way. Like I, you know, that's why I was at first so nervous about even going to AA or really like dealing with the problem is because yeah, of just what I thought an alcoholic looked like, you know, um, I didn't really have a, a real grasp of, of how it is everybody, you know, there's, it's just like anybody. Yeah, and Juan, what is it like yeah. playing music in, in sobriety? You mentioned you're in a band, and these are you know, these are kind of dangerous environments, especially for somebody in early sobriety. Yeah. But what is that like being out there on stage practicing? You know, you're you're being a creative person, and there's temptation everywhere. Is it possible? Definitely, definitely. Um, the more I I meet more sober people and sober people in the in in creative field and in, and in music. Yeah, I feel I, I see more people like that, you know, that are also sober doing it. But it is it first it was really difficult stage like stage fright wise. Like it was a, I was so present, you know. I, I realized like how much I would drink before we played and um not having that crutch was definitely scary at first. But now I feel more energetic, more confident in what I'm doing, more comfortable with myself in general and now when i play it's like feels so visceral which is like how i first was when i first started playing music was it felt so intense and so almost indescribable and i feel that again and i like being nervous and being in the moment is like a good thing for me now like i like it and i definitely feel more creative i feel like i'm a better bandmate to my to to the rest of my of my band i think i'm more even keeled can like be more I don't know I, I think I, I'm able to take it more seriously in, in a certain way and also just be like a more helpful co collaborator I guess because because I am sober and I, I I'm present and I a lot of those anxieties have diminished I think Juan I've also interviewed a handful of musicians on the podcast and we're also like five for five on this every single one yeah. said yes it is possible and B, after you get past a couple, you know, uncomfortable moments, like, oh, my God, I'm playing a show without alcohol, it gets so much better. And, and then after that, it's, it's amplified. You're a better musician, better band member. That is so awesome. And uh, yeah, what's your, what's your band name? Um, we're called Lunch Lady. Lunch Lady. Love it. Please tell me you cover yeah. an Adam Sandler song. We don't, but I've gone. No, I'm kidding. I've, yeah, people have mentioned that before. <laughs> That'd be so funny. I'm kidding. No, we don't. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. Just for just for listeners out there, you're in the L.A. area. This is going to come out on. Uh, I'm thinking February 25th. Do you have any shows around that area after February 25th? Uh, yeah, we're playing February 28th in San Pedro, so a little bit outside of the general L.A. area at the Brewery West. 
Shit. On the 28th. That worked out okay. <laughs> yeah, that worked out perfect. Yeah, if you got any so- sober uh, listeners yeah. out there, go say hi to Juan after the show at San Pedro at the something brewery. What was it? Brewery West. Shit, we just promoted a brewery on the podcast. Uh oh. <laughs> I know. Whoops. <laughs> Who cares? We're promoting a you sober get, you can get musician. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're promoting a sober musician on the podcast. Let's go with that. Let's go Thank with that. You. Yeah. <laughs> and one, one more question before we hit the rapid fire round. What have you learned about yourself in this journey? I guess I've learned that, you know, that things that I used to think were impossible to, to change with myself, I, they have changed, like for the positive. A lot of my like control stuff has gone away, and also I feel like way more confident in in and tackling new things, and even just physically like I've been working out and like feeling confident and and, and having the energy to do that, and I've I've reaped the benefits of that mentally and physically. So and that's something I never thought I would be able to do. So yeah, I guess mainly like just confidence, having way more confidence, um, and also enjoying people more and being more excited to meet new people and to open up my world for sure. Yeah. Those are huge wins in sobriety. Just that confidence thing. You got it back, man. Nice job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and one, we've reached the rapid fire round. If you answer these questions in 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Yes. Number one, what's your favorite guitar riff to play? Ooh, I, Okay. I haven't done it in a while, but the main riff in Smashing Pumpkins today, Ooh. the intro riff, that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I used to be able to play that one too. That's a fun one. Yeah. All right. Next question. <laughs> what was your worst memory from drinking? Definitely, uh, definitely getting in, in that in that in that fight with my friend. That might have been probably the, the worst memory I've had in drinking. And was there a specific oh shit moment indicating that you are need to be done with drinking? Yeah, I guess coming home from going out and like going back in a going home in an Uber with a, with friends and just feeling so alone with them in the you know being so close to them and feeling so alone still and just like crying like actually just crying in the car and just feeling so so desperate I guess. And Juan, with over seven months of sobriety, what's your plan moving forward? Yeah, just you know. I, I guess just keep on going, you know, getting more, going, do my step work, uh, doing more of that, getting more, getting more sober friends, just sort of feeling more involved in, in, in that aspect of my life and, and hopefully finding a cool new career or a cool new job and just seeing how I could help other people, I guess, which is something I never thought I would say. <laughs> yeah, it's a great plan. And what's your favorite resource in recovery? I on, definitely... AA for me, AA is, is, is the, the go-to for me, but, um, listening to your podcast every Monday and going through the back catalog has been so, so cool and so helpful. And I did that before I, uh, went to AA. That was part of my beginning of sobriety routine. So yeah, those two things and just, and just other, other alcoholics, other people who want to talk about it and, and be helpful. Yeah. And thanks for listening, Juan. I, I really appreciate that. I do. And uh, nope. next question. Thanks, and, thanks for doing it. <laughs> yeah, of course. In regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Best advice I ever received. I guess, honestly, just, just knowing that you don't have any control of anything <laughs> and just, you know, taking care of, of how you react to things. But overall, like, you know, letting go of control. 
And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? Just keep an open mind for anything. I think because of, of, of the program, I've learned to just like take contrary action, which is, I, you know, and which has been, which has been so helpful to me in, in so many ways. So, you know, doing what you don't necessarily want to do right away, you know, trying to change your behaviors. So contrary action, I think actually would be my, my best advice for anyone. Great stuff, Juan. And before we depart, give listeners your own customized You Might Be an Alcoholic gift line. You might be an alcoholic if your bandmates on tour lock you in a basement because you're that out of control and everyone's scared of you. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Love it. That's <laughs> what good bandmates do. Juan and Mises, what they do. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true. <laughs> Juan, thank you so much for joining us, man. Greatly appreciated oh, our talk. Man. Thank you so much. That was so fun. And before we depart today, I want to talk about the dangers of detoxing from alcohol. Now, I've done a lot of research on this, and it can be murky, but from what I found, alcohol is the only, if not one of the only drugs on the planet that you can die from during the detoxification process. Heroin, extremely uncomfortable. It's like the worst flu you've ever had for a week. And even that's an understatement. But alcohol, you can die from when you make the decision to quit drinking. So I want to read an email that I got from Amy. Hi, Recovery Elevator team. I've been listening to your podcast now for about six months since I reunited with an old friend who I'd lost touch with. When he came back into my life, he came back as a severe alcoholic with two failed attempts at rehab, failed marriage, losing the marital home, and refusing custody of his children. In my attempt to help and understand his disease, I've listened to these amazing people tell their stories, and they fill me with hope at the same time teach me a lot of things I'd never imagined about alcoholism. I have tried to share with him to no avail. He simply wasn't ready to hear, but still I listen to the episodes and hope that one day I can share this podcast with him. I have watched him get worse and worse, and nothing anyone could tell him was getting through to him. It's sad to watch a person die from the sidelines, and I honestly told myself daily that the reason I came back into his life was so that he would not die alone. The reason I wanted to write this email was because I guess he decided enough was enough and attempted a detox on his own last week. A very long story short, he has been in a medical-induced coma since Saturday. They found him half-dead and hypothermic, and now he is battling for normalcy. He is still at the hospital and has a long road ahead, but every day something new comes up. Today, the attending doctor fears irreversible alcohol dementia. I don't see any podcasts covering the dangers of doing this alone when you are a heavy drinker. This is a dangerous thing, and I can see how some people out there think they have what it takes to do this unsupervised. I apologize if you have already covered this subject on your podcast. I can't seem to find it, but I think it would be of great value to cover this. Thank you. Amy. Amy, thank you so much for sending this email, and I'm sorry to hear what you and your friend are going through. I have briefly covered this on the podcast. When I say briefly, I think I've just simply said you can die from detoxing from alcohol. But thank you for providing a real-life example of what this detoxification process can look like if we don't seek medical attention. My suggestion is to play this one safe. Check yourself into a detoxification clinic Go to the hospital if you do decide to quit cold turkey. Alcohol is a beast and can get us at any time. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys. <laughs>